A reading from Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 to 14. And so from the day we heard, we had not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God being strengthened in all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The word of the Lord. Let me add my welcome to everyone this morning. Thank you, Tony, for reading our scripture. Thank you, music team, for guiding us into a spirit of praise. And let's continue in that spirit of praise and thanksgiving as we turn uh, now to God's word. And you can turn in your Bible, if you have one in front of you, to Colossians chapter 1. We'll start a bit earlier uh, in the chapter than what we just heard read. But there are many life milestones uh, where we might wish someone well. Maybe it's a high school graduation, a wedding, moving, retirement, any number of things. We might send someone a card, say good luck, wishing you well in this new season of life. We might offer words of wisdom and encouragement. And as believers, we will probably tell them that we're praying for them. As that person heads into a, a new season of life, And even more encouraging often is if we're specific. We tell them specifically what we're praying for them about. And that's exactly what we have in our passage this morning. uh, The Apostle Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. It'd be nice to know that an apostle is praying for your church by name. And even better, to know what he's praying for you specifically. And that prayer would reveal much about his heart for the church. What he sees as crucial for the church's future, what he's coming to God on his knees about your church for. This morning we conclude our series on the church. We've looked at several scriptures over the last weeks to paint a picture of what the church is, what the church should be, and how we can continue to grow in being the church together. Of course, there's always a lot more that could be said. Uh, in a series like this, but we thought it would be a fitting place to land the plane uh, this week with a prayer for the church, a prayer that communicates, in this case, Paul's heart, and a prayer that's in line with God's plan for the church still today, and as we think about being the church together. This prayer is a nearly 2,000-year-old prayer for a church, a local church in Asia Minor, but it's still a fitting prayer for us today. So let's latch on to these words together uh, with thankful hearts as we seek to follow God's leading together as a church. Let's pray as we turn to Scripture. Lord, Father, we do come before you lifting up your name, praising you for who you are. You are our Savior, our Healer, our Deliverer. 
So, Father, as we turn now to your word, we ask that your spirit would move in our hearts, in our minds, that you would grow us together in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1, and we'll back up starting in verse 3. This is one of Paul's prison epistles. It's always important to remember that these words were penned from prison. Uh, So Paul couldn't be with this church in person, and so he writes this letter to them. They were a young church. They were being confronted by false teaching. It's not exactly clear what the false teaching was in this case. seems like some mixture of Jewish and pagan teaching. But this, whatever the case was, this letter cuts through the lies around this church with the beauty and the truth of the gospel. And Paul starts with this thanksgiving and prayer as the foundation of his letter and will be our focus this morning. But look at verse 3. Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And you could also translate this verse with more of the idea of we're continually praying for you, and when we do, We thank God. So Paul's saying he was constantly praying for this church. Can you imagine getting this letter from the Apostle Paul? The Apostle saying, not only I'm praying for you, church, I'm praying for you continually. And more than that, whenever he says I'm praying for you, I thank God. We celebrate Thanksgiving this week. Thanksgiving is a big theme in these verses. And Paul models for us a thankful heart, and he prays for the church to have a thankful heart. Why is he thankful for them? Look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth." Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So before Paul launches into his prayer, he sets the scene with some foundational things that he's thankful for. These are anchor points for us that really call back to several points that we've covered in the last several weeks in our series, some of the main themes about the church's priorities And notice he's thanking God for this church's faith and their shared hope, which he says is laid up for them and us in heaven. The church as God's people are members of his unshakable kingdom. What happens here and now matters, but remember, no matter what happens here and now, the future, our ultimate hope, is guaranteed. The future for the church is not in danger. It's secure. Next, he tells us that this hope came to us in the gospel, the good news of Christ, that he says is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. This doesn't mean that every corner of the world has been reached with the gospel, but as N.T. Wright put it, the salvation promised in the Old Testament has now been unleashed in the world, irrespective of geographic or racial barriers. The gospel has been unleashed. And these words call us back to Genesis and the mission of humanity that God gave us to be fruitful and multiply. Paul uses those words here about the gospel. Jesus, the new Adam, is fulfilling this through the gospel. So these Gentile believers brought joy to the apostle's heart. They brought thankfulness to him in his cold prison cell. 
because they were a constant reminder to him that the gospel was on the move. And while churches face trials and setbacks, the church, capital C, wins. The church wins because Jesus won. We can be busy doing the work of the church in the world, and we should be, we're called to be, but we do so without any fear about the future. Without any fear that some battle may be lost because Jesus won the war once and for all at the cross and the empty tomb. Even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as Jesus promised. So our future is secure. Victory is assured. But look again at verses 4 and 5. He's thankful for their faith, their love, and their hope. Those three sound familiar? That's Paul's faith, hope, and love. All three are foundational Christian virtues, but what does he focus on? The same one he focuses on in 1 Corinthians 13 where he writes, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Verses 7 and 8 here, he says, Epaphras has told them especially about their love. So the third foundational truth Paul points us to before his prayer that he's thankful for is that love is the most important thing. And that he sees this love so evident in this church. He says, I'm thanking God for your love. As Jesus said in John 13, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. It's hard to overemphasize how much the church today needs to remember this truth. There are many important and urgent things for the church to enter into today, but as we've seen in our series so clearly last week in the Gospels, that if the church does anything without love, we're doing it wrong. If our heartbeat, our overriding priority isn't loving God, loving one another, loving neighbor, then we're not aligned with Jesus. So Paul invites us into this spirit of thankfulness, into this spirit of praise as he thanks God for this church and how God is at work in them and through them, and now he launches into this beautiful prayer. Look at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, give you thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So Paul's first prayer request for this church in verse 9 is that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will. This isn't the private secret knowledge that the Gnostics in their day would be, would be promoting, but this is the knowledge of God that's available to all people. And this knowing isn't simply intellectual, just accumulating knowledge, but this is experiential, it's relational knowing. To know God's will is to first and foremost know God. We tend to think of God's will often in, in very personal terms. What God wants me to do in this particular upcoming situation or God help me with this decision. What's God's will for me here or there? And God does lead us that way, but the temptation often is for us to go to God for answers 
and direction instead of relationship. What Paul means here, knowing God's will, not because we're holding our spiritual finger to the wind, but because we're so close to our Father that we know His heart. We know what He wants. We know what His heart is for us and for the world. Big picture, we know what God's will is for us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, this is the will of God, your sanctification, being more like Jesus. And that's the next line here of Paul's prayer, that from this relational knowledge of God, the church would walk worthy. The church would bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God. Notice the repetition. Our growth that Paul shows here is cyclical. We, We grow in the knowledge of God so that we might bear fruit and live a holy life, pleasing to God, So we might grow further, we might gain more knowledge of God, we might keep growing. Do you see? It keeps repeating. And Paul also repeats this image of bearing fruit. The gospel is bearing fruit, he said already, and he prays here that the church would keep bearing fruit for the kingdom. I've shared before, I think, that as a kid I had the brilliant idea of trying to plant a tree by taking a stick and shoving it in the ground. If you can believe it, it never bore fruit. I was missing something, right? It, it lacked the source of life. It lacked roots. It could get all the sunshine. I could pour all the water in the world on that stick, and it would never bear fruit. It would never sprout a single leaf. And that's like us trying to grow spiritually in our own strength, by our own effort. And sometimes we may not even notice that because we're doing all the right things, right? We're getting the sunshine. We're pouring on the water. We're believing all the right things. We're doing the right things. But we may not be bearing fruit. Why? Because we're not close to Jesus. Jesus said this in John 15, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Not a little. Jesus says, not some things you can do on your own. He says, nothing. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my walk with God that I've tried to control things, tried to manage my spiritual life and my own strength and my own knowledge, doing the right things, believing the right things, but not necessarily growing closer to God. We can try to use God, right, for our own purposes. We, again, want answers maybe or direction from him while skipping over the relationship part. But it starts and it ends with abiding in Christ. And that is first in saving faith as we trust Jesus alone for our forgiveness and for our salvation, and then throughout our lives as disciples. As we abide in him, we receive his provision, and we bear fruit because of his life in us, because we're connected to this life-giving source. So if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, this is why religion, apart from relationship, gets you nowhere. You may feel better after you go to church or after you give money to charity, but that doesn't bring you any closer to God. Because Jesus paid the price for the sin that stands between us and the Holy God. Only Jesus gives us the ability to live the life that we were created to live. And this is Paul's prayer for the church that we would never lose sight of this. 
And our vision as a church is that we would be like a a thriving tree with our roots growing deeper into the love of Christ and our branches reaching wider and bearing fruit for the kingdom. And that only happens if we stay close to Christ. Not knowledge for knowledge's sake, not doing good for good's sake, but Jesus living his life in us and through us. Next, Paul prays in verse 11 that the church would be strengthened with all power. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? I could use more power in my life. How about you? Power to change my circumstances, power to get past trials. Paul prays for power for us to be patient. Wait a minute. Thanks a lot, Paul. You could have prayed for power for us for any number of things, but... Power for patience? But if I'm honest, I really do need the power to be patient. How about you? Endurance and patience are parallel words here. Endurance is more getting through a difficult situation, and patience is more what we show to a difficult person. And we need power in all of these situations, in all fronts. To endure patiently whatever God has for us, trusting him completely, even with joy, Paul adds. Remember, Paul is in chains as he writes these words. Talks about thankfulness and joy. Paul, remember, saw God's power in in a big, exciting, explosive way when he and Silas were in prison back in Acts 16. Do you remember that? God brought an earthquake and literally blew the doors off the prison. God shows his power that way sometimes. But Paul here in this case seemed to understand that this time he needed God's power to endure. This is a difficult season for many of us in this body. There are physical ailments and disease. There are family members that we're concerned about and praying for. There's job stress. There's financial worry. This is a heavy and hard season for many of us. And we are right to pray for power. We're right to pray for healing, for direction, for God's mercy in these situations. And sometimes, and we pray that God is glorified to do the miracle, to blow the doors off the prison. Sometimes, though, God is most glorified to show his power in our endurance, in our patience. Because that shows the watching world something too, doesn't it? So Paul says in Romans 8 that the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Sometimes the chains stay on. Sometimes God says no to removing that thorn in the flesh because his grace is sufficient. And so we need God's power to live with patience as if his grace really is sufficient. As if it's really all we need because it is. And this power, the spirit in us, opens our eyes to what we really have. That brings us to Paul's final prayer request here that this church and that we as the church would give thanks to God. If my eyes are only on my circumstances, I would give thanks when things are good, when I'm comfortable. But Paul prays that we would be thankful in verse 12. Why? He says, because the Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. He's qualified us. I get mail almost every day that tells me I'm qualified for something. You ever get those? Or pre-qualified. 
You're pre-qualified to give us your money, to sign your life away. I love the ones that are written in a font that's trying to look like handwriting. You ever get those? This feels so special, you know? <laughs> so nice of them to take the time to write me a letter. But they just want something from us, right? That's what they mean by qualified. How different the gospel is. We weren't qualified in and of ourselves. Apart from Jesus, remember, we can do nothing. But Jesus stepped in and said, I'm qualified, and they're with me. This word for qualify means to enable or make sufficient. Isn't that great? To make sufficient. Give thanks that we are sufficient in Christ. Give thanks that verse 13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has qualified us for an eternal inheritance. He's delivered us from sin and death. He has transferred us to his kingdom. Not a bad deal, if we're honest. Remember, Paul started with thankfulness that the gospel is advancing in the world, but it's also advancing in us. As we grow, as we bear fruit with joy and thanksgiving. So Paul's prayer for the Colossian church is still in line with God's heart and God's will for the church today. Come this week to a holiday that reminds us to be thankful. We as God's people should be the most thankful people around. So let's give thanks this week for all we have in Christ. If you find yourself in the midst of a difficult season, if you're carrying a heavy burden right now in your life, let the power of God at work in your heart remind you to be thankful for what you have in Christ, for the grace that is enough. Let's remember that we only bear fruit if we abide in Christ. And some of us need God's power to be patient for those Thanksgiving dinner table conversations, right? When your crazy uncle gets going, or maybe you are the crazy uncle. (laughs) But we all need God's power, right? To be patient. We all need God's power to, to evidence, to show that love. And so let's follow Paul's example of thankfulness and prayer. Let's grow in thankfulness. Let's grow as a praying people to see God's power at work in us, whether it's incredible power to heal and deliver or the quiet power here to endure with joy as we await Christ's return. Would you bow your heads with me? Our Father, we thank you that we can call you Father because of Jesus. We thank you for your love that is always moving toward us. We thank you that our future hope is secure, that we are enabled to live joyfully and with thankful hearts. And so we ask that you would grow our gratefulness. Thank you for the ways that you are at work in your church and the world. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. We trust you to continue growing us together. That we might continue to grow deeper in your love. That we might bear more fruit for the glory of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.